0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to Grey History. I'm your host, Will Clark, and this is episode 42, The Corsican Republic Part 1. Now, as previously mentioned, this episode on The Corsican Republic is available exclusively for Patreon supporters of the show. Full length bonus episodes are one of the many perks for those people who are helping to sponsor Grey History, and the community voted for this topic amongst half a dozen or so ideas that were suggested by the show's supporters. I have loved researching Corsican history over the last few weeks, and so I figured I would share this sneak peek of the episode. I mean, Corsican history is just fascinating. This island, which is the most mountainous in the Mediterranean Sea, has been invaded by the Phoenicians, the Etruscans, the Spaniards, the Carthaginians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Byzantines, the Vandals, the Ostrogoths, the Saracens, the Moors, the Lombards, the Franks, the Pisans, the Genoese, the Milanese, the Aragonese, the French, and, of course, the British. Because you really didn't think I was going to list all those names without mentioning the British, did you? Of course not. Now, this sneak peek is going to cover the worsening relationship between Corsica and Genoa, And if you'd like to listen to the whole hour-long episode, the way that you can do that is by supporting the show on Patreon. Multiple Patreon supporters have written in saying how much they've enjoyed this full-length bonus episode, so I think you're really going to love it. As a reminder, I've left my job to focus on bringing you more grey history more often. And as much as I love bringing you grey history, it's just not sustainable without the support of the listeners of the show. If you enjoy Grey History, if you'd like more Grey History, then I need your support. You can sponsor the show for as little as $2 per regular episode, and access hours worth of bonus episodes, episode extras, behind the scenes videos and more. Those who select the True Revolutionary tier will also have immediate access to episode 43, The Invasion of France, which is a fantastic episode if I may say so myself. You'll also not want to miss the episode extra for that episode, which focuses on the Battle of Valmy, both what actually happened as well as the academic battles surrounding it. So Google Grey History Patreon or follow the links in the show notes or on the website and help do your bit to keep Grey History on the air. You know you want more Grey History, so help make that come true. Welcome to Grey History. Episode 42, The Corsican Republic. Part 1. Despite this brief occupation, as well as the intervention of other foreign powers, Through all the ups and downs, the Italian Republic of Genoa always managed to come out on top. Or at least, when it came to Corsica. Their control was challenged often by various combatants, but time and time again, the Genoese somehow found themselves maintaining their hold on the island. A group that had fared far less well were the local nobility. After numerous conflicts and civil unrest, By the start of the 16th century, the power of the nobility had been reduced substantially. They had been a major player in Corsican politics for the last several hundred years, but by the 1500s their power had most certainly been curtailed, and it would never return. However, the other local power on the island did not share quite the same fate. The Terra del Comune had fared comparatively better. In the 1500s, for example, the Terra del Comune and its democratic institutions were still functioning. In fact, the historian Ferdinand Gregorovius praises the situation Corsica found itself in, despite being controlled by a foreign power. Compared to the situation in mainland Europe, where much of the continent was under the reign of despotism and autocratic rule, Gregorovius writes favourably of Corsica, and the relative liberties it enjoyed. These provisions were all of a democratic nature, leaving the people free, giving them a share in the government, shielding them by defence of laws, and curbing the arbitrary disposition of the public officers. The Corsican people might well congratulate themselves on their superior freedom, in comparison with the condition of other people of Europe, who for the most part, were sunk in the deepest despotism. Yet, the liberties praised by historian Gregorovius would not last forever. By the time of the 18th century, the situation had changed dramatically. Genoa had certainly passed her peak as a maritime republic. The Italian city-state was increasingly corrupt with the richest families of the once mighty republic allowing the state to corrode and decay as they tended to their own enrichments. In such a scenario, the Genoese sought to extract whatever value they could from Corsica, an island they viewed as little more than a colony. By the 1720s, the situation on Corsica was prime for a major rebellion, and the reasons for this seemingly inevitable revolt were multiple. Firstly, from the second half of the 16th century through to the start of the 18th century, the Genoese presence in Corsica had become more regular and consistent. Foreign invasions and local rebellions were far less frequent than they had been during the 12th to 16th centuries. As a result, historian L.H. Caird claims that Genoa had the opportunity to oppress Corsica methodically. That's his word, methodically. Amongst his many accusations, Caird claims that Genoa treated the island as a subject nation, deliberately preventing the island from developing its economy and improving infrastructure and public works. At the head of this misgovernment was the Genoese governor, who used the position to extract wealth from the island and soon reserved much of the government's posts for other Genoese. To do much the same. Finding themselves increasingly locked out of the governing of their own homeland, the Corsicans were also frustrated to see that the Commune's legislative assembly was being ignored, excluded, and outright disregarded by the Genoese. Taxes introduced in the 1720s, combined with new administrative measures imposed on the island by Genoa, simply added more fuel to the fire. Outrageously, the two governors, as there were now two of them thanks to those administrative changes, were invested with what amounted to absolute authority. Most notably, they could condemn people to death without proper legal proceedings, and thus essentially do as they pleased while they enriched themselves from the island's wealth. Unsurprisingly, arbitrary rulings and the complete miscarriage of justice was the result. With the right connections and bribes, the guilty would go unpunished, and the innocent could be found guilty for doing little more than standing on the wrong toes. Furthermore, as the officials were compensated with a portion of the revenue raised from fines, confiscations and seizures, the Genoese administrators were incentivized to find new means of extracting wealth from the locals in the most arbitrary and despotic of manners. In addition to severe trade restrictions to benefit Genoese traders, this had an understandable detrimental effect on the economy. Perhaps not the most unbiased of descriptions, but I thoroughly enjoyed one historian equating the actions of the Genoese to that of vampires. This situation, toxic enough as it was, then combined with a rather unique culture on Corsica, the culture of vendettas. A vendetta, in its simplest form, can be described as a feud between two or more parties, often families or clans, that generally last multiple generations. Generally, a death would occur at some point in time during this feud, perhaps arising from some sort of argument and in the absence of fair justice, honour demanded a life be taken in return. In a land where justice was by no means impartial, and the wealthy and well-connected could escape their rightful punishment, vendettas became one of the few means to restore one's honour and ensure true justice. Of course, the moment an individual was killed or attacked, the new victim and their associates must seek their own revenge. Thus, the cycle perpetuates, across generations, as each side retaliates against the other, the original grievance often long forgotten. Historian L.H. Caird claims that this practice of vendetta was so widespread and so destructive that it caused greater misery than even Genoese rule. Interestingly, the Genoese had fostered this practice of vendettas through the lucrative sale of firearms and accompanying licences. Corsicans shooting Corsicans for generations-old feuds was perfectly fine for the Genoese, provided it was profitable. So, despite the 17th century being relatively calm in Corsica from a foreign invasion point of view, it would only be a slight exaggeration to say that every man on the island was armed, and thus, There was no shortage of bloodshed. As infighting amongst the Corsicans was both profitable and advantageous for the Genoese, who could be the enemy of all of these armed locals if they united against them, the foreign power was in no rush to stop all this feuding. As I said earlier, by this time Genoa was treating Corsica as an island in which wealth was to be extracted. The Genoese did not see Corsica as their own community to be fostered, nor as an equal in which both partners could prosper together. So by the end of the 1720s what we have here is a tinderbox waiting for a flame. Public opinion was incredibly hostile to what was seen as Genoese tyranny. Corsica was ripe for rebellion. For a people whose history consisted of hundreds of years of revolts, guerrilla warfare and conflict. This was hardly welcome news for Genoa, which had, for quite some time, found it difficult to maintain their control of the island. To make matters worse, the Corsicans longed for a return of their rights and liberties. A tradition and culture of independent, republican and democratic government had long established itself in Corsica and the abusive mismanagement by the Genoese made these past customs all the more desirable. Corsica was a ticking time bomb. But when the fuse was finally set alight, a series of events would be set in motion that no one could have anticipated. New enemies would arrive, new allies would emerge. But most importantly, the people of Corsica would create a republic that proved inspirational for the future great powers of the modern and democratic world. Thank you for listening to this sneak peek of episode 42, The Corsican Republic Part 1. The full episode, which is almost an hour long, covers more than 2,000 years of Corsican history, and is available right now for those people helping to support me and the podcast. There's no big studio supporting grey history, no huge advertising dollars, no large network with cash to burn. It's just me. Me, myself and I. If you're enjoying grey history, I desperately need your support to keep going. So please, it will only take a couple of minutes to join the community and help keep grey history on the air. As always, thank you for listening, stay safe and have a great day. dot com